Two sisters lived on separate sides of the states. One in NYC and the other LA. They both moved to Chicago and decided to stay. Now here's their playful podcast packed with Kid Lit Parlay. Children's books. Are they really that great? Talking children's books is with Kate and Fuse 8. Children's books. Why, what, and how? Fuse 8 and Kate will break it down for you now. So we record these in the evening. We do. And, uh, and I was leaving my son, you know, he was going to bed. And before he went to bed, you know, he's seven or so. And he's getting into bed. And just before I leave his room, he says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very good at something. I was like, oh, what do you, he doesn't tend to brag about himself. I'm like, what, what, are you, what are you really good at? And he's like, I'm very good at contemplating death. And I was like, come again. And that meant we proceeded to have another 10 to 15 minute conversation about death, which I did not expect to have this evening. So that's why I'm late, uh, oh. is my explanation. Okay. My son is very good at contemplating death. You know, I know that I'm related to him because I do the same. Oh, wonderful. Maybe you <laughs> can give him some useful advice on the subject because uh, he he doesn't enjoy contemplating death, and yet he does it. Uh, yeah, same here. I, I got no advice. The, I mean, I'd call that the human condition to a certain extent, but yeah. Yep. Poor guy. He's seven. Aww. Seven-year-olds should not... Con- Nobody has died that he knows. Not even a pet. <laughs> not even a pet at this point. So really, it's bizarre. Mm-hmm. I suspect he only brought it up because uh, we were talking about Neil Gaiman's Sandman series and the fact that one of the characters is death. Ah. I think maybe that had something to do with it, but who's to say? Okay. Who's to say? Uh, and speaking of who's to say, who's to say what her name is? You. Who's to say? Me used to say Kate. Ah, yeah. me used to say Betsy. Ah. ah. And we used to say this is Fuse 8 and Kate. Well, were we supposed to say that together? Nope. Oh. I was using the royal we. Oh. So. I was like, we, we used to say Kate. Okay. What do we do on Fuse 8 and Kate? We discuss um, death. Yes, we, we do. Sometimes in picture Sometimes. books. Sometimes. Duck, Death, and a Tulip. Uh, that was one. Ooh, we got a couple dead books we haven't done that I would potentially call classics. Oh, I know what we're doing soon. But maybe I should save them for Halloween. Hmm. I mean, Easter is about death, right? It, well, technically it's about the exact opposite of death. But uh, <laughs> if we wanted to do a Good Friday one, sure. I don't know. Good Friday recording. Good Friday recording. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, we talk about picture books, that's right, and whether they are good or if they're bad. Right. Right. Um, then we've had a, we've had a slew of good ones recently, haven't we? Yeah, it's annoying. A bunch of really, really great ones. Let's talk about some crappy ones. I have a doozy. Ooh. I have a ringer. I have, some people are going to look at what we're doing today and be like, uh, that's like shooting fish in a barrel. You, You didn't even try. And you're right. I didn't. I went with the with the low-hanging fruit on this one, folks. I went with a book that we haven't done, but is still circulating in my darling library. And after you read it, you may question, why are you ready? Okay. Here we go. Maybe I'll think it's a classic. You might not. <laughs> they were strong and good. By Robert Lawson. Robert Lawson. This is the guy who did Ferdinand. 
Oh, hence the Ferdinand. red cover. Uh, hence the line art that is so delicate with so many details, yes. But you will find it is not Ferdinand. Not by a long shot. Okay. So there are some lovely ladies in it. So okay. there you go. Are they strong and good? Uh, affirmative. I like well, strong anyway. We're gonna cool. Go with strong. I like strong women. Strong. I see a classic in my near future. Oh boy. Here you're, we go. You are not prepared for this. <laughs> you are not while kate does her read um let me give you a little background information on this book i don't want to give too much away because there's a lot here i want to discuss with kate but here's a nice thing i remembered that my co-writer on the book wild things acts of mischief in children's literature peter ceruta well he had a blog called collecting children's books and you must check it out. If you love children's literature, if you have not looked through this blog, you absolutely must. It was like no other blog out there. It had more background information than you could possibly want or need. And there was a post on Robert Lawson that mentioned this book extensively. So if it will soon become quite clear that there are several um, versions of this book. Some things were updated, particularly in the text. And uh, so... We're going to discuss what those changes were to a certain extent, um, but just to talk a little bit about it. So he, he posted a lot of information about the changes on his blog, Peter did, and then he said, uh, and I'm quoting him on this, and as always, I hate it when later editions are lower in quality due to subpar printing and paper. In what I can only assume was a cost-cutting measure, the end papers of the current edition of They Were Strong and Good are plain, white, and boring. As we will cover with Kate, the edition I gave her does not have plain white boring pages. So that's interesting. Peter also managed to find a copy with the original press release inside of it. I will include a link in the show notes so you can see it for yourself. It is, if you want to see what a 1940 press release uh, looks like for a children's book, it is fascinating on how similar it is to press releases today. In his comments, Connie Rockman writes, the book that should have been Lawson's Caldecott winner, because this book, you see, won a Caldecott, is a timeless and wonderful the story of Ferdinand, but there's a very good reason why Ferdinand did not win the Caldecott. It was published exactly one year too soon. It would have been eligible for the 1937 award, and the first Caldecott was not presented until 1938. <laughs> One other commenter said that she uh, works in a domestic violence shelter and had purchased the book because of a description on Barnes & Noble, which made it sound like a good book on family history, uh, she was a little surprised by the contents inside, and you're about to find out why. Ten years later, she returns. Oh, boy. It's been a voyage, has it not? You know, mm. this book. Oh, yes. As you said, shooting fish in a barrel. It's it's so easy, is it not? I want to uh, meet the person who thinks this is a classic. I do too, because it's still in print. This is the kicker. That's this gross. Is, I know, right? I, I there was a comment that I read on a blog that was like somebody bought it for like a shelter, uh, and then wow, yeah, and then because of a, like reviews on Barnes and Noble, and then got it and was wow. like, well, this is inappropriate on a 
dozen different levels. So I found yeah. at least six. Oh, so... oh, I will be interested in the six. Okay. <laughs> I can think of a couple right off the top of my head. But, yeah, yeah, this is a very long book, so I'm going to try and go quickly. Go quickly. Really, a lot of it repeats, but yes. Yeah, so starting with, um, even when you first open the book, there's a little sticker inside that says... So someone hand wrote 1940 Caldecott winner. It's just the justification as far as I can tell. I think it's also inaccurate. The book was published in 1940, but would have won the Caldecott in 1941. So I didn't double check that though. So I don't even know. I mean, it does say on the title page 1940. So. Well, yeah, exactly. You, they would have gotten, I believe, unless they gave out the Caldecotts the year they were published back then. Should have been a 1941 winner. I don't know. Maybe World War II was on the horizon and they... Well, that's the thing. I really feel this is part of a nationalistic kind of movement during the time. This is when you see books like Johnny Tremaine winning the Newbery. It's very much like a rah, rah, America kind of book. Ah. Ah. Yeah. I think it kind of puts it in context a little bit. Yeah. Still not great, though. Oh, no, no, no. Not at all. The, 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 there's There's only two good things in this entire book. And the first thing is there's a... Darn good spinning wheel on that cover page. Or on, yeah, the title page. I would argue I like the end papers. Those are cool. It's like a weird, freaky kind of family tree. Yeah. No. No, I didn't do it for you. All right, that's fine. <laughs> I'm not going to fight it. Um, he illustrates uh, every page and puts his initials in the corner. Just They in used case. to do, yeah, we, we still find that periodically. Sometimes Europeans do this in their picture books. Just in case you were wondering who the racist was. Yeah, um, exactly. He wants to point it out <laughs> in every illustration. So the book goes through my my mother's father, my mother's mother, my father's mother, my father's father, my right. parents. All the great... Right, the grandparents. Well, the grandparents. Parents. All the grandparents. Like, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so hence the family tree. Mm. Um, so he's explaining that his mother's father um, was a sailor, and then you turn the page, and that was my first, oh, no. Oh, no. I think I heard you call it from the other room. Like, no. Here's a racist illustration. Mm-hmm. The first of many. Oh, yeah. It just, you're like, well, maybe he decided to just put one in. One per page, maybe. Oh, practically. Yeah, practically. Um, though, I will say that, so, like, he had bought a hat, a Panama hat, and he had bought a, a there's a parrot, and there's a monkey, and then at one point, the hat is practically eaten because of the parrot, and it says... So one friend didn't get his hat, and the other friend almost didn't get a parrot, implying that he was going to kill the parrot? And possibly eat it. You ever tried parrot? No. Nobody has. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, then we get to some weird punctuation. Um, <laughs> this says, My mother's mother was a little Dutch girl who lived on a Ugh. farm in New Jersey. Oh, I hate that. I hate it, when you a, do that. There's a period after who, who? But, but lived is not... There's no capitalization. Boo. That makes no Printed sense. Printed error. <laughs> but apparently his mother's mother uh, lived in the city of Patterson, New Jersey. And it says, and this is what it looks like now. And there's all this smog and <laughs> smokestacks. What's, what's the name of the town? Patterson. It is the know. third most largest city in New Jersey. Really? Yep. It is known as the Silk City for its dominant role in silk production during the later half of the 19th century. Well, that explains all the smoke. 
No, it doesn't. But they say, well, back in the day, it looked like this. And there were farmers and chickens and... Doesn't that look prettier, and children? barns, yes. Uh, so one day, she gets, uh, you know, carried away with all of the farmer's stuff. And she goes into town and she meets this guy that looks like Abe Lincoln. <laughs> and they get Rude. married. But uh, on their honeymoon, they get back on his ship, you know, because he's a sailor. And uh, this is my... Other oh, favorite yeah. illustration. That actually is my favorite one, too. It's yeah. a woman uh, in bloomers puking over the side she of the ship. She is. She's puking over the side of the ship. You don't expect to see that in a book from 1940. No. no. I appreciate that. It's a very honest look at the poor woman not being able to deal with seasickness. And then you turn the page, and yeah, it says... it's all downhill from here. It was downhill, it was, it was downhill beginning, before, though. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad before. Yeah. This is a different downhill. Uh, this is uh, talking about his mother... When my mother was a little girl, there were Indians. Oh, All right, shall we? Now, here's here's the kicker. Um, you want to hear what the original line was? Because this is the cleaned up version. What? They changed the text, uh, I believe. In, this is like a 1960 version you're looking at. I believe they changed it in the 50s because they knew this line would be worse. <sighs> oh, boy. When my mother was a little girl, there were Indians in Minnesota. Tame ones. Oh, shoot. You have the original. Yeah. Oh, you have the original. That was changed. Uh, they took out the tame ones because that was clearly the worst part of the entire thing. So, yeah, which yeah. is um, opposite a page of uh, Native Americans with a stereotypical mammy mm-hmm. holding a broom, I guess, chasing them out because they would beg for food. They're stealing a pie, I believe, in that shot. From the windowsill, I assume, because the, it's amazing. It's maybe the most, I'm not going to, it's hard to rank the most racist image in children's literature of all time, but this is really up there. It's quite high. I will say um, that he, in interviews, Lawson said that he didn't make the stories 100% accurate. Um, he just put in stuff that he thought would make the stories better. So oh, that's... That's great. Well, I he was, just came up with himself. I was then. thinking bad things come in threes, right? Yeah. So number one, we had the racist illustration. Number right two, the they said Indians, and then number three, you have this illustration this with the Native Americans, the worst and picture. the mammy, and mm-hmm. it's. I was like, okay, that's it. That's three. We're done. Oh. Why are there still so many pages? <laughs> you haven't gotten to. Uh, yeah, you. I know what you haven't gotten to yet, but go on. So just trying to move on with this story. Uh, his mother uh, really liked peace and quiet, so she went to school in a covenant, and she was with nuns the entire time. Wouldn't that be a convent? Oh, what did I say? You said covenant. Oh, sorry. I kind of like that, though. <laughs> <Sorry. good. laughs> I was trying to go quickly, and I wasn't going right. thoroughly. So then his father's father, it says, um, lived in Alabama and was always fighting something. And I'm thinking in my head, fighting for slavery? Um, oh, yeah. Well, I think you're little, right. Little did I know. Yeah, I, I you did, called that one. Yeah. Yep. And did you notice that this book does that thing that you hate uh, where it starts a sentence like, you know, here it says, he was always fighting for something when, turn the page. You know, if I didn't dislike the book young. enough, that's just like, just a twist icing, of the knife. Icing on the cake. <laughs> it's just the icing on the cake. Yeah. Yeah. This is interesting. Uh, he fought, it says Indians, um, of course, uh, in the Seminole War, which was 
when the United States fought against Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when that was over, he decided to be a preacher. And I'm like, hold on a second. <laughs> he fought and most likely killed people mm. and then became a preacher where it says, thou shalt not kill. I Whoa. love the irony here. Oh, well, come on, man. Like the Christian religion, what it's done to the Native American population is... Yeah, they, yeah. they tend to forget that... Thou shalt not kill. Yeah, you know, and it's more of a suggestion. (laughs) (laughs) It's not so much a rule. Right. Well, he was, uh, now I guess he's a preacher and he's fighting Satan and he's on stage looking crazy. Sure. Fire and brimstone. Which Brimstone and fire. Where, um, his... His was like, I want a piece of that. Yeah, uh, yeah, this mother uh, looks at this man and goes, yes, that's going to be my future husband. (laughs) That crazy man on the stage. That's what I look for in a husband. (laughs) Wild eyes. Okay, so remember when I said things happen in threes? Yeah. Well, here's number four and five. Four. Four and five. I know what uh, this is. Yep, 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 yep. Which consists so of... So you've got the original text. This is fascinating. Yeah. I did not realize I'd given you the original text, because this does have a slightly different text. One might argue, worse, but go on. Uh, his father, um, it says here, when my father was very young, he had two dogs and, turn the page, a colored boy. Wow, you have to turn the page for that one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it says here, um, the colored boy was just my father's age. He was a slave, but they didn't call him that. They just called him Dick. Okay. So, so yeah, can I tell you the um, the updated version of this, which is in a way worse in some ways? Okay. When my father was very young, he had a Negro slave okay. and two bo- dogs. So at least there, they're acknowledging the thing. The Negro boy was just my father's age, and his name was Dick. So, it's so gotten rid of the... He was a slave, but, but they, they, didn't call they didn't call him that. He was like a friend. Yeah. He was totally like loved Jeez us. Louise. Okay, well then, don't call him that. Say he was enslaved. Yes. Which would be even better than what you say. And obviously... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of obviously. So, the... When the Civil War began, mm-hmm. my father's father quit being a crazy preacher man <laughs> and went off to fight the Yankees instead, it mm-hmm. says. Uh, fight the Yankees. So I'm like, okay, now we've gotten to the War of Northern Aggression. War of Northern Aggression. <laughs> which is, my stars and goddess. Yeah, which can only get better from here, right? Oh, boy. We're in the South. Oh, no, no, no. I remember this part, yeah. Okay, so... Oh, boy. This is the worst part, Yeah, so um, the the father um, takes a horse and rides it off to um, this place far, far away, and then he decides to join the war, but he's young and... You know, he's like 14, and he's, you know, doesn't have any fighting experience, but he's going to join the war by holding up the flag. So he sits on this mule holding up this flag, and that's where the cannons know to, like, ride up beside him. And there's number six, a Confederate flag. Ah, yes, because the book wouldn't be complete without putting in It's not in color, but you know what it is. You know. You know. Yeah. You know what it is. Yeah. So, um, after... Now, yeah, if you had asked me if I could name a single children's book with a Confederate flag, until today I would have said no. Well, there here you go. go, Betsy. There you go, I can find one. Glad huh? we could make that come true. Uh, so, right, so he gets injured. 
and the war is over and he goes back to Alabama and uh, there's um, the store that he was working at got burned down. There's no work and Dick was gone too. Gosh, wonder where, why, why he would have gone. Yeah. How strange. So he ends up going to New York. <laughs> like okay. you do. Yeah. Um, the North. Yep. So Yankees. That was really, that was really his, uh, yeah, he really, it was the Yankees they, he had they, a problem They call with, him a little rebel because of his Southern accent, it mm-hmm. says, where he meets this woman, which... I thought she didn't like noise, and that's why she surrounded herself with nuns, and now she decides to go to New York? Yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, Consistency's not key here. So they meet, and then they get married, and then the book ends with, uh, I am proud of my mother and father, and of my and of their mothers and fathers, and I am proud of the country that they helped to build. <laughs> You're, I'm sorry. Didn't. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're proud? Bill, didn't you, they just exactly fight against that? the union? What exactly? Trying to rend it apart? Yeah, what are you proud of exactly? Your family owned slaves. Yeah. Killed Native Americans. Yeah. Fought for the Confederacy. Yeah. And it almost killed a parrot. So I don't know what you're proud of. <laughs> it's, a, it's a legitimate question. Okay, I'm done. Yeah. I mean, there's not much more to say beyond that. Um,. Let's see. Uh, he's well. Robert Lawson won a. There's a Caldecott winner. Yeah. This is a Caldecott winning book, and uh, he is, as of 2009, uh, it was stated on my friend Peter's blog that Robert Lawson is the only children's book creator to win both the Newbery and the Caldecott awards. I've been racking my brain to possibly think of any other person, but the problem is, they don't tend to write novels that win newberries so even the picture books that have won newberries were written by authors who didn't do the illustrations so i think he's right i think this book makes him the only person to have both a newberry and a caldecott under his belt gross. yeah it is super gross uh it is still in print that's infuriating weirdly because the one book that... Why is there not more outrage over No, this? because no one remembers it, but it is weird that it's still being printed. So someone's buying it somewhere. I mean, this book, you can see, is practically an original. It's just never been removed. It's good for research, but you wouldn't read it to a child, by God. Or if you did, you would be... It would be an entire unit. It would be a teaching lesson. It would be a teaching... It would be a big teaching lesson. And you could really go through a lot of stuff with this book so oh my god so yeah it's still the one newberry book that's not in print is james dougherty's daniel boone which is horrible when it comes to native americans this book is also horrible when it comes to native americans i don't know why this one managed to escape it so it's it's a whole thing ratings time i'm gonna do a first okay do a first this is my first one. Yeah. You know what? I am with you on the one. It is an absolute 100% one. This is there's 100% no, not a classic. There's nothing. This is the worst book that we have done. Yes. In this history of this podcast. It is absolutely 100% true. And like I say, it's it's 
It's. I mean, anyone who saw not that we even were the woman book puking over the ship can save this book. You know, if that had just been like, if he just concentrated on her and the puking and the ship, and just stayed on the ship, just stay on that ship with the puking lady, that would be a good book. I would read that book. Um, you know, Ferdinand is a great book. This is not, and obviously he should not have been allowed to write his own books. All right, <laughs> so. Let's clear the palette. Okay. Okay. Grown-up things we like. Well, <laughs> um, this is a little bit of a sea change. Yeah, this isn't exactly something I like, mm. but I'm. I, this is a call for help. Okay, but it's a call to action. Yeah. So I'm running this 5K with our father. Mm-hmm. He is uh, 71, and in so much better health than I am. Mm-hmm. And he, we, we've done this for a few years now. Oh, yes, you have. And every year I need to listen. He doesn't listen to music while running. I need music in order to motivate me. Mm-hmm. And there is only one song that has the beat that I need. Oh, what song is that? Live in La Vida Loca by Ricky Martin. I find that on the elliptical, it's very effective as well. I need people to recommend songs that have the same beat as oh. Live in La Vida Loca. I have a Spotify workout yeah, set list. <laughs> but I need that beat. Oh, I see. That tempo. Yeah, I get you. I mean, okay, so, all right, people, this is a call to action then. Uh, we need you to email us at fusecadate at gmail.com and tell us. Give me song recommendations because with what the I'm beat working of with. Living La Vida Loca. It's either that or I'm listening to Salt and Peppers Push It because I'm telling myself to keep pushing to run and it's not working. Um, Recently, I've tried the ketchup song, and I enjoy it very much. I don't know what that is. Oh, I will, I will play it for you later. Okay. It's got a good beat. Okay. For working out. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Um, so my grown-up thing is I, you know, my husband's in New York right now, which means, you know, kids and I, we had an early dinner, and then, you know, it was an hour till bedtime, and we're like, well, what are we going to do? We, we, maybe we could watch something. Well, let's turn on the old Netflix. What should we watch? Should we watch... Oh my goodness. Is it cake? Are you familiar with Is It Cake? I am. It's the hot show of the season. Have well, you seen Is It Cake? Uh, no, I'm familiar with the phrase Is It Cake. Oh, yes. But not the, there's a oh. show. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, no. It's great in that it's just exactly what you think it is. Precisely. They have a, like 10 bakers who are very good at making things look realistic. Like cake look like things. Okay. Yeah. So each of them is given like a challenge. Um, well, first of all, they determine which bakers even get to bake by having to guess which one's the cake in like a bunch of hamburgers, a bunch of shoes, bowling balls, and whichever's can figure out the cake, they're the ones who get to compete. And then they're given uh, some sort of an object like a purse or something or tacos. And they have to make cake. Then the judges come out. What they do is they put the cake really far away from the judges with a bunch of other things that aren't cake. So if it's like you've made a hamburger, then a bunch of actual hamburgers will be around it. And then the judges have to very quickly figure out which one is the cake. And if they do not guess it correctly, you get $10,000 right on the fat. So people get like $10,000 like per episode, basically. It is not an intelligent show. It's just a lot of a guy with a sword cutting things and you can see if they're cake or not. 
There is a lot of eating of the cakes, which I appreciated. I was going to say, do they The judge? cakes have to taste good. I was going to say. That's the real kicker. So the cakes have to actually be delicious. Just eating a bunch of fondant doesn't really taste good. Exactly. And boy, their techniques are fascinating. If you want to know how to make bacon uh, for a cake, this will show you what to do to make something look like bacon. It is not a smart show, but it is fun, <laughs> empty-headed fun. Okay. Yay! <laughs> is it cake? <laughs> well, this was a weird hey, episode. Hey, you asked for a bad book. I well, And I dug to the depths. You delivered. I delivered and how. It was a first. Yeah. So, and now I want to get this dirty feeling off yeah, of me. Yeah, you're going to need to wash your brain a little while. Yeah. Just put it through the ringer and, uh, and then forget this book ever existed. Yeah. Whee! That's all right. Hey, there's nowhere to go but up. That's true, unless you give me another number one. There's nothing to compare to this. And to be clear... Unless you people can think of something. <laughs> I was going to say, to be clear, it's a scale of one to ten. It is. One being the worst. Right, right. It's a number one. It's a, it, we would give zero if we could, folks. It's but number it's, one. It's, it's, it's number, number one. one. It's like Wait, can you give me two number ones in a row? Uh, that's a challenge. No, I can't. Because oh. we're, we, we're going to have to go into some uh, more pre-planned books in these next few weeks. So. All right. Sorry. But until we look at these pre-planned books that will not be a number one, I, God, I hope. <laughs> I've been Betsy. I'm Kate. Bye. Fuse 8 and Kate is a Fuse Number 8 production. You can reach us at FuseKate8 at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Fuse underscore Kate. You can follow us on Instagram at Fuse8Kate. That's Fuse Number 8 Kate. Listen to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or Player FM, or follow us on iTunes and rate our podcast if you're so inclined. Our music is by Haddon Kime, and our cake, or is he, is Drew Atienza. Fuse 8 and Kate is a creation of Kate Atienza and Betsy Bird.